listening to All of the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 405, and today we are talking about books being released on March 14th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hello, Liberty. So, as I've been doing the last few weeks, I looked up the episode number as if it was an area code. And area code 405 serves all or portions of Ooh, yeah. 19 counties in the central part of Oklahoma, which includes Oklahoma City. So hello to people in the 405 area code. Hey. I've never been to Oklahoma. Have you ever been to Oklahoma? I have not. But as a person who used to, in my past life, work for um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car and like all the companies it owns, I used to work at an mm-hmm. airport. And I know way more area codes than I should because I worked at an airport. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting like what you can find when you look them up. No, totally. I, I've been, been playing along with you when I hear it. <laughs> I'm also a child, so I still can't really hear or say Oklahoma without yelling it several times, like Rupert in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> you know, and I said it out loud the other day for something, and my husband did the same thing. So I was like, "Oh, okay, now Aww. I know why we're together." <laughs> Look, hey, hey, partner. <laughs> it's like, it's just I love fun that for you. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I would take a couple of minutes and discuss something that I uh, heard from some other people is being discussed, and that is the fact that I read books on my television now. Apparently, this was the topic of discussion on the uh, main Book Riot podcast. I was told Rebecca and Jeff were discussing how possibly I am from the future. Uh, oh, yeah. Because we've all known I that. read books on, on my TV, <laughs> and I did post about it on Instagram a couple weeks ago, and I got so many responses and questions about it, like more than anything I've ever posted, I think. So I just thought I would mention it here because it's book related. It might be something you haven't thought of. You might want to try. I don't know. So I read most of my books in PDF form. Yeah. Which is like getting an ebook, except it's it's a document. It's before the book is published. You know, I ask publishers to send me a manuscript if they don't have a galley available yet, like on Edelweiss or NetGalley, um, which is just a it's just a document. And what I discovered very early on is that I really enjoy reading them on my PDF reader on my computer. Um, And I know a lot of people do not like reading on their computer. Like, most people do not. But I really like it. I make the font really big, and I can just sit there and scroll. And I have really good peripheral vision, so I barely have to move my eyes. And I found that I even read faster, like, when I read them like this. Really? But then I discovered that... I can cast them because we got a new <laughs> a new television. We got okay. like a fifty two inch screen, big widescreen TV, uh, in October, and I can cast them onto my TV. And now it's just because I'm lazy, I can like <laughs> lay back on my couch and just click the little arrow key on my laptop and just keep scrolling and just read it on on my TV. And I and I love it. I love it. Like, I read, mm. you know, and I know, like, e-readers are not for everybody, you know. Um, yeah. These are, like, you know, unfinished, mostly unformatted versions of things that you would get, like, if you had an e-reader. But uh, because we know that I am an impatient, impatient monster, you know, <laughs> I like to read things as soon as I can possibly get them. You know, publishers will be like, I can give you the manuscript or you can wait and I can send you a bound copy. You're like, no, you know, no. Physical copy in a few weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> give it to me now. You know, always, always, because I'm, I'm impatient. So I just sit there and, and read them. And it's amazing. I love it. And it's also been great because my vision isn't as good as it used to be. Mm, and what it really helps with is comics. 
Ooh. I find that it's much easier to read a comic like blown up really big on mm. my screen. So, you know, people have been like, oh, asking all these questions about it. So I just wanted to mention it because, you know, it's kind of really fun. Although, you know, if someone else in your house wants to use the TV, then it's like, <laughs> go away, I'm reading. my reading time, you know, but <laughs> so that's what I've been doing. And uh, it's working out really well for me. I love it. So at, at first, I absolutely was like, what? <laughs> and then the more you explained it, yeah. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I've definitely been having to increase the font size on things lately. <laughs> I'm starting to understand the appeal. Yeah. Hmm, I have to try this sometime. <laughs> I mean, I love physical books, obviously. Yeah. And 99% of the time, if I read a PDF of something that I love, I then buy a finished copy of it. Sure. You know, which, yeah. you know, lots of people are going, why? <laughs> My uh, floor beams are going, why? But, <laughs> My floor beams. You know, I love, I love reading, you know, I love reading physical copies too, but like for work, it's just, it's yeah, just no. easier. Um, and it's a good time. And, and like, I didn't realize... You know, I was sitting in my office and we had just gotten this TV. Like, we, di- we didn't have a TV until this one. We were always using, like, a computer to watch television. Oh. So it was the first time we had a TV and I was sitting in my office and I realized there was a little button on my laptop and and I didn't know what it did. And so then it was, like, share with, you know, Samsung, whatever, whatever. So my husband was watching TV in the living room and I started playing a video <laughs> to, like, freak him out. Like, was like, what is this witchcraft? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm of that course. punk. And then I yelled, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. <laughs> Before we talk some more, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant rivals to lovers debut romance. Genie Nescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Albachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Okay. 
So I have uh, one more thing to tell you, Vanessa. Actually, I know I've just been like talking, talking, talking. I'm very sorry. I seem to have hogged the whole intro with my television reading. (laughs) But uh, before we start talking about our books, I want to remind people that we have a new newsletter. It's called The Deep Dive. If you are looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from experts in the world of books or reading, you can subscribe to Book Riot's newest newsletter, The Deep Dive, to get exclusive content delivered to your inbox. Subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. They're tapping experts to share longer gems based on years of knowledge about books and publishing, experiences as readers and book curators, and research on lesser-known histories to illuminate and inspire book lovers. And for $5 a month, you can get this deep dive edition of our newsletter to your inbox twice a month. Or if you're on the fence or need some time before making the commitment, you can get a free subscription, which will get you the splash pad, which rounds up some of our experts' recommended reading and bookish lifestyle goods monthly. So go to bookriot.substack.com to check that out. I'm laughing that I made you read that whole thing when I'm one of the creators behind it and I could have just like probably done it. I'm like, yes, please tell the people. <laughs> but yeah, we've been working really hard on that. <laughs> so we hope y'all enjoy that and you sign up for it. <laughs> That's all right. It's really hard to get me to stop my mouth moving for, you know, more than a couple of seconds anyway. So I might as well just keep <laughs> keep running it. So speaking of which, I'm going to tell you about my first pick for today, which is one of my favorite novels of 2023. Top 10 for sure. It is The Dog of the North by Elizabeth Mackenzie. Mackenzie is the author of The Portable Veblen, which was on the NBA long list. Not the basketball one, the National Book Award one. Um, had a little squirrel on the cover, a little red squirrel. You probably saw it. You probably read it. It's great. This one, The Dog of the North, was just announced as a contender for the Women's Prize. Um, it is an absurdist road trip novel slash family drama slash comedy, although it has several trips, not just one road trip. And the title is actually, and the book itself is actually an homage to The Dog of the South by Charles Portis, who, as you know, is my very favorite author, which is, and it, Dog of the South is also an absurdist road trip novel. Uh, this one is about a woman named Penny. She's in her early 30s. At the beginning of the book, she has left her cheating husband, Sherman, and her job as a secretary in a dentist's office. And she is going to visit her grandparents in California. Um, She's going to go deal with them because there's a lot going on. Her grandparents are both in their 80s. They are divorced. They have not been together for many years, but they're having separate issues. Her grandmother is a mean battle axe of a woman. She's a former doctor. She's beginning to experience dementia. She's also a hoarder. Her house is filled with mold and dead rats and experiments that she's like been conducting in her house and penny has been contacted because recently there was an incident where uh, people had to go out to her grandmother's house and her grandmother uh, supposedly waved a gun at them and so something has to be done they have to like figure out what they're going to do with her and so she has penny has this plan she's talked to her grandmother's accountant bert and Bert is going to take her grandmother out for lunch for the day. And while she's gone, Penny's going to go in the house, find the gun, confiscate it. And a huge team of cleaners are coming in to descend upon the house and just clean it all up while they're out for the day. So she gets to California. She's, she gets there at night. So she goes to stay with Bert. She finds out that Bert lives in his office. He's been evicted from his house. Um, so she has to stay at his office, which is filled with hair from his little Pomeranian Quicoats. And ride around in his van, which is filled with junk and is named the Dog of the North. Penny also has a grandfather named Arlo. He has a horrible gold-digging new wife who is much, much younger than him. She's just a nightmare all the time. 
And her grandfather is, like, very nice and very sweet. He's a retired pilot. And his wife just wants him out of the house now. He's too old, and she didn't sign on to take care of him at the end of his life, which is exactly what you sign on when you marry someone. But she says no, she wants him out of the house, so Penny's going to try and deal with that. But, you know, the best laid plans of dead rats and men. So while she's trying to deal with her grandfather... She finds out that the cleaning crew that has gone to the house uh, has called the police for a reason that I'm not going to spoil for you. Um, At the same time, the accountant, Bert, falls ill and is hospitalized, so there's no one to look after his dog or take care of his van. Uh, So his brother shows up. His brother is much younger. He's a very handsome lawyer. And while they're trying to settle that business, there's other stuff going on. So being this close to family and this area is bringing up lots lots of feelings, Proximity to family is bringing up feelings about Penny's mother and stepfather, which she hasn't dealt with. Uh, five years earlier, her mother and her stepfather disappeared in Australia. They moved to Australia when she was nine. They had this huge love of nature and science. Plus, Penny's father was very unstable, very erratic and aggressive and harassing them. And her mother just wanted to get away from him. So... Um, Now they've lived in Australia most of their lives. Penny has a younger sister who lives in Australia. And five years ago, her mother and stepfather went on a trip to go look at some rocks or something uh, and didn't reach their destination. And and no one's seen a a sign of them since. So while all this is going on, her grandfather, Arlo, gets a a message from a woman that he has hired to look for her parents. Uh, She's been looking for them for five years now, um, saying that they found some human items in this sort of sinkhole in Australia. They're not they're not her parents, but it gives him this idea that like maybe they're in this general area and he wants to go check it out. And since her sister still lives there and she hasn't seen her in a long time and they have kind of a strained relationship because they don't know what to do with her parents' house which has been sitting there empty, she travels to Australia with her grandfather. But she still has so many unresolved problems at home. She has a possibly criminal grandmother. She also has her grandmother's problems with the IRS, which she just discovered, and an unsold second home in Texas. She has her new friend, the accountant, who is ill. She has this handsome lawyer who she can't stop thinking about, but he's married. She has her not-yet-ex. She has her grandfather's verbally abusive wife who won't stop calling. And then there's her father who randomly ambushes her in various places to see her because she won't talk to him. He just kind of, like, literally pops out of places and says wild stuff at her and then goes away. It's very funny. It's very wacky. And it's a very heartfelt novel of a woman whose life is unraveling and who is trying to solve everyone else's problems so she doesn't have to deal with her own. I was really touched... Uh, by the conversation around parents and family. Penny's mother has been married to her stepfather since Penny was an infant. You know, she loved him as far as she's concerned. You know, he's her father. But she has a sister, you know, who is his biological daughter. And people insist on calling him her stepfather. And she hates that because he's her father to her. And it makes her feel like a lesser part of the family. And she hates that she has this bad father that she's required she was required to see by court order when she was a child um and, and it's just this really great talk about step parents and non-biological parents and and found family you know like who we choose and the conversation around that and i just i loved this book so so much it has so much heart despite all the things that are going on i do want to give a couple of content warnings or i should say uh, several content warnings for animal harm and death illness dementia several medical emergencies, loss of a loved one, 
violence, war violence, infidelity, trauma and grief, child abuse, and inappropriateness toward a child. That is The Dog of the North by Elizabeth McKenzie. There's so much going on in that. <laughs> really oh my goodness. Know. Yeah. This, like I didn't even, I just barely touched on everything that, that <laughs> happens and goes wrong. <laughs> I was like, and another plot line, and another plot line. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. I started reading it and I was like, this is going to be my new favorite book. I love Aww. it when you feel that way about something immediately. Uh, I love that feeling too. Yeah. She did soften me up though by making it, you know, an homage to my favorite author. So there was yeah, that. That helps. But you don't, but I just want to say you don't have to have read The Dog of the South at all to you know, understand this book. It's like, get it, quote unquote. It's good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to tell us about one of my favorite series. Um, and I can't stop talking about this book and or series because they're just my favorite. And so the book it's called, itself, pardon me, is called A Tempest at Sea by Sherry Thomas. I know I have talked about, I think I even mentioned his book as my, what am I reading on the last episode? And I've definitely talked about the series before, but I will not stop because it is the Lady Sherlock, Sherlock series where the main character is a woman named Charlotte who essentially has made her career pretending to be her brother, quote unquote, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes, but he's not real. Like she has, and her partner Watson have sort of, made this um well, the person who kind of plays at watson have gotten by by this whole little subterfuge where they bring clients in and be like yeah yeah, yeah. like you're gonna consult with my brother he's just in another room due to like an ailment doesn't want to be seen in public you tell me i'll tell him that it's all along it's her so that's the general gist of the series this is the seventh book already in this series and i it's just so good it's obviously subverted the character the main character is just she's so smart so witty she's living life on her terms including purposely having, quote-unquote, ruined herself by, you know, having the relations <laughs> with a man before marriage so that she could be essentially, like, left out of main society and not expected to wed, etc. So she can, like, do her own thing. So it's really feminist. It's fun. There's, like, a romance plot. But this one is super fun because it takes place on a boat, which immediately had me. <laughs> I'm really into mysteries that take place in a, quote-unquote, locked room setting where the locked room is basically that you're on this boat. I will give some minor spoilers here that like the books kind of should be read in order because of certain plot lines that like won't make sense and mainly because of the spoiler that I'm about to reveal right now. And that is that in book six, Charlotte essentially feigned her own death in order to evade Moriarty. Dun dun dun. And so now in this one, when it opens, she she can't resist. Like she basically has to be in hiding right now because if she you know, comes out as being like, hey, I'm alive, then Moriarty's going to come get her and send his his henchmen. But she gets this really intriguing offer to find a dossier that the crown is like desperately seeking. And so when the book again opens, we are on the RMS Provence. She is dressed in impressive costume to pretend that she is like a much older woman <laughs> that no one recognizes. This is a process that she's sort of perfected at this point. She goes into disguise mode a lot in these books. And so she does this in order to kind of spy and investigate and try to retrieve that dossier. But then a wild storm, you know, descends and a murder also happens during said storm. So now she has to not only try to still find this dossier and like solve that, you know, initial thing that she was trying to do, because if she does, then it could mean like basically her getting like a record her, her getting to live life like on regular terms again. But also she needs to stay very much the hell out of the investigation into this murder because again, if her cover is blown ahead of time, then it's like nighty night for her. And it all, you know, comes to transpire again on this boat 
people trying to figure out who did what to how, who, whatever. There's lots of secrets, lots of little kind of side things going on, and including her like romantic subplot with Lord Ingram, which is just so satisfying to have seen come to where it's at. The audiobooks of this series are phenomenal. If you are an audiobooks person, Kate Redding does such a phenomenal job of giving like Charlotte that really cool, calm, collected voice, and then, you know, voicing other people other ways. I, oh, it's just such a fun series. Like I, Every time these come out, I immediately download and get to reading because they're just so great. So yeah, if you're looking for a fun mystery series, like Sherlock and, you know, gender bent type of uh, retellings, etc. This is just so much fun. It's it's like candy. Uh, and that is A Tempest at Sea by Sherry Thomas. So one thing that makes me just go, Ugh! when I read Agatha Christie or, or the Sherlock Holmes books, like the original Sherlock Holmes books, when I read them again, is, because you touched on this, is costumes. Mm-hmm. So like when you read them, I think it's like the very first Agatha Christie novel. Someone wears a wig that she says yeah. is made of yarn. <laughs> yeah. And like nobody, <laughs> no one's nobody like picked hmm, up on that. Hey, that you looks know, weird. And I think I think of the same. It might be the first Sherlock Holmes book where someone disguises themselves as an old woman. Yep. And here's like the smartest man on the entire planet, mm-hmm. and he doesn't pick up on the fact that someone is wearing a costume in front of him. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> oh no, the Groucho Marx like lenses. <laughs> Who are you? You know <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> it's where did Superman go? Yeah. I don't know. There's just this guy wearing glasses. Yep. You know, it's just. <laughs> I'm just like, come on now. I mean, but things are like so different then. I, I love, I love different. I've been uh, leaving the 80s video channel on for the cats, like when we're not in the room. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And I've been watching these videos and it's so obvious that it's like, we just discovered this cool technology that we're yeah. going to use and now we're going to shoot every single video backwards. So it looks like people are taking their lipstick off and, you know, and, and then, then we discovered this one that's like a mirror image. So we're going to like make weird shapes because we're a mirror. It, it's so funny. And I'm like, uh. How, te- how technology has progressed. <laughs> yeah. I think I was talking about the chipmunks a few weeks ago and like how somebody discovered that you could play those voices like really fast. And that was so <laughs> cool for a really long time because people had never heard that before. And it's just like, all right, we'll go with that. So yes. enough rant about that. Um, my next book for today is the book that no one wanted to read by Richard Iowardi and Tor Freeman. You might know the name Richard Iowardi. He was Moss on the IT crowd. He's been on various game shows, various talk shows. I love him. He is so funny. He is so quick-witted. When you watch him, like, in an interview, I mean, it's just astounding. Um, I have watched many, many, many hours of him on various British game shows and talk shows because I just love him. He's written a few books. He has, like, a travel show. I think I could be wrong. I think this is his first book aimed at kids, and it's a perfect book for people who love love books because it's all about a book. The main character of the book is you. You get to decide how you want to narrate this book because, or who you are as you narrate this book, uh, or uh, as you star in this book, I should say, because the book itself is narrated by the book. And so the book talks about, you know, what it is to be a book and what it is to see a book and judging books by their covers and all this stuff. And then we get on to the action where the main character, you, goes to a library. And while you're looking around, you see this book high up on the shelf. And it's the most unremarkable book you've ever seen. There's like no words on the spine. It's like a color that is like a non-color And you're like, what's that then? You know, what is this book doing up there? But as you 
decide to go get a ladder and, and reach for it, the book is like, leave me alone. And you're like, okay, there's something wrong with me because I heard this book talking to me. And it's true. The book is speaking to you, book on the shelf, uh, in your head. You're talking back and forth with this book using your mind. Um, and the book asks you to please leave it alone. It doesn't want anyone to read it, which makes you want to read it more. Um, but the book is really worried. It's worried about disappointing someone. The book feels that it is better to never have been read than to know what people think of it in case they're disappointed with it. And it just goes back and forth like that. And you have to decide if you're going to read this book. And like, if you read this book, what is it going to be about? It's just all kinds of great stuff about books and readers and lots of silly nonsense. There are tons of funny illustrations and diagrams. I'm so happy that they sent me a finished copy of this book because they did send me a PDF, which is those things I told you I read on my computer, and the illustrations hadn't been added yet, so there was, like, so much missing from this book. But there's just all these, like, silly, silly illustrations, like, you know, the, you're asking the book all these things, like, do you have teeth? Do you eat? And and the book is like, no, of course I don't have teeth. And, like, there's this, you know, figure 29. It's like, things that have teeth. Dog skull, wind-up teeth toy, handsaw, comb, this alligator, things that do not have teeth, frog puppet, tiny babies, some lump, socks, this book that no one wants to read. It just has a lot of stuff like that. Um, There's also a diagram of what it looks like when a book falls off a shelf onto someone's head, which brings back the Sally Mann concussion incident of 2015, <laughs> that you'll all remember when I gave myself a concussion with that very heavy memoir. Yep. <laughs> it's just really funny. It's, you know, I love the illustrations. And then there's something on page 10 that I want to read you because I, it made me stop and, like, think for so long. And I was just so pleased that this kid's book did that. For a book isn't a mere object. It's like a delivery vehicle, a packed truck that pulls up outside your head, laden with language and story and ideas. That's why when you say to your friend, did you read so-and-so, you know that they don't have to read your copy of the book in order to give you an answer. What you're really asking is, did that packed truck laden with language and story and ideas pull up alongside your head as well? That just made me stop and I was like, whoa. Yeah. You read that book. But not that book, not the book that I have, but your own version of that book. And then I started thinking about other things like, did you see that game? Not the same, like you didn't watch it in the same place, but you saw that game. Or did you watch that movie? You know, and and it just was, <laughs> went on and on for a long time. I probably drooled a little. Uh, and then I, I came back to reality and my version of reality. And I just, I loved that. I was just like thinking about books because oftentimes I try to think of other words for reading. It's like, what are other words for reading? And I can't find any, like without like looking, I still haven't looked online, but like, what else do you say you're doing besides reading? Hmm. Not much. But then I was thinking, like, there aren't a lot of activities that have multiple names for them. Yeah. You know, you're right. so, like, you're watching a movie, you're viewing a movie, you're seeing a movie, you're attending, you know, like, but like, what's, you're reading a book, you're experiencing a book. A book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that does like, it exactly. Like, like, the, <laughs> like, the act itself is just reading. Anyway, I, I'm going on and on about that, but I just, it's so much fun and it's great for book lovers and it's great for kids. It is called The Book That No One Wanted to Read by Richard Iowardi and Tor Freeman. I confess that I had not seen that you typed that in, and it sounded like you and I had both sat there and been like, oh, I don't want to read this book. No, you read this book. And I was like, wait, what? And then I started listening more, and I'm glad I did, because that was great. <laughs> no, no. it's Yeah, it's just lots of fun. Oh, that sounds great. Well, my second book is a departure, um, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, my next pick is Piñata by Leopoldo Gut. So... Leopoldo Gut is an artist and the author of other books like Monarca and Ghost Radio, which, side note, TikTok just informed me this week that Pedro Pascal narrates the audiobook of Ghost Radio. So if he is 
your, uh, I don't know, space daddy, as I have also learned a term for this week, then, you know, go forth and enjoy that. <laughs> but apparently he does a very nice job. But this piñata is a work of horror, which traditionally has not been like super, super my thing. I do read horror, but it's very here and there because I've long considered myself a giant weenie. And uh, a friend of mine pointed out that, I mean, people read horror for many reasons, but as things, you know, out in the world have started to feel like just more and more stressful over the last like several years that like turning to horror is somehow like therapeutic in that time. And I have found that to be the case. Um, so this book was pitched as head full of ghosts meets Mexican Gothic. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and give it a go. As long as there's no mushrooms, I should be fine. And there are not. Um, the year is 2027 and Carmen is a Mexican American architect who was born and raised in Mexico, but got her education in the States. So now she is in this small Mexican town, I think it's Tulancingo, where she is leading a, a project. That project is the restoration of a very, very old abbey into a shiny, shiny new hotel. It's a big project. It means a lot to her to get to lead this up as a woman in her native country. She can't leave her daughters for the whole summer alone in New York. She's got a, a teen and preteen daughter, Isela Luna. And so she takes them with her for the summer. She's like, it's going to be great. They're going to get to know more about their culture. I'm going to, you know, lead up this project. But, you know best laid plans. So the eldest, Isel, isn't having it. She wanted to really badly to go to a theater camp with her friends. Theater is her passion. She really resents like not being able to do those things. She's been resentful ever since her mom like moved them out of the city to the suburbs because raising girls as a single mom in the city got too hard. The youngest daughter, however, is a like little ray of sunshine. She's really pumped. Just she's in a very like naturally preppy, curious, warm and like open-hearted little thing who can't get enough of her new setting. She loves going to the markets and like tasting the food, talking to different people. She's just like a consummate extrovert. And Godwin is doing her best to like keep them both happy and do a good job. But this isn't easy uh, in large part because hashtag machismo. She's just facing a lot of conflict on the job site, people not wanting to listen to her because she's a woman. And so early on into their stay, while, she, you know, Carmen is kind of dealing with everything I just talked about, a woman related to one of the artists on the project that Carmen does know and like respects approaches her to tell her like, hey, I know this is going to sound a little bit wild, but your daughter Luna is in great danger. Carmen does not take it well. She thinks that she's being shaken down basically by the city for, you know, money, which is unfortunately is sometimes a thing <laughs> in my loved, beloved uh, home uh, motherland of a country. But I mean, it, it's probably the case in a lot of countries. But anyway, she is basically thinking like, yep, this is a shakedown. This is so disrespectful. Get out of here. And she's like, no, 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 like, that's not it. The trouble I'm talking about is like of a spiritual kind. She's like, yeah, sure. Get out of my face. But then like some weird stuff starts to happen. There's these giant, giant masses of black butterflies that constantly like form in the sky. And a couple of different, you know, things have been happening both to her and like her daughters were like, they think they see like butterflies where there should be none. And then like, they're suddenly gone. So like, oh, no, it's nothing, right? It's just it, it's nothing. It has to be nothing. But then things go really sideways when an accident happens on the job site, like some scaffolding collapses. And it reveals the secret kind of antechamber in the Abbey that no one knew about. Like, it's nowhere in the plans. No one alive has ever heard of it, knew that it existed. And then when they, like, you know, kind of go and investigate what's in there, they find a bunch of, like, centuries-old artifacts, including something that stands out that is called a piñata. But it's not the piñata that we know, right? Like, the pretty paper mache type of thing that you smack with a stick and candy comes out. It is... It is a very old version. It is like the indigenous version, which is a clay pot that is filled with lots of very not candy things, blood, skin, 
mm, things, body parts. <laughs> and it's not the sort of thing that you just, uh, you know, want to grab and like do things. Everybody kind of is like, you, we should put this back and maybe walk away slowly. Well, things happen. <laughs> um, essentially, Carmen gets let go from this job site, has to go back home to New York. None of this is a spoiler because it's all kind of the point of the book. But when she gets back to New York and she's upset, of course, because, you know, the, the trip got cut short. She no longer has, you know, control of this project. She's, she's probably going to get fired. But very quickly, it becomes evident that something about her beautiful, peppy, curious, open-hearted daughter Luna has changed and continues to change. And something is very, very, very wrong. And it may or may not have to do with that piñata. I <laughs> spent the very first part of this book, I will just confess, like, it's not perfect. There was a lot of exposition in the beginning that kind of took me out of it for a second where I wasn't sure that I was going to love this. It d- it kept me from feeling immersed in the book. And I know that a lot of that was, you know, needing to kind of lay some ground about customs and some of the indigenous language. There's a lot of like references, of course, to Nahua and like Nahuatl. And I, I kind of get why it needed to happen. And I will say that once you get to a certain point in the book, that's when the horror like really gets ratcheted up. And I was like, okay, I think I'm on board now. And I am. I loved seeing the ties to dark Mexican lore, the application here of evil being the kind that's brought on by horrors of colonization and all of the unspeakable acts that were committed in the name of, you know, missionary work and Catholicism. And I really ended up loving it for that. Again, it's not a perfect book. There's things that I think could have maybe tightened up here and there. But the message, again, just really honing in on like, who is the wrongdoer here? And like, did we bring this on ourselves? And how was really, really interesting to me, especially like in the exploration of like the types of gods and entities that like make it into this, you know, work of horror. Uh, I touched on this a little bit, but definitely trigger warnings here for all kinds of like body horror stuff and some, you know, very violent death scenes. And I believe those are it. But yeah, I, I really appreciated it. And I'm like wanting to go back and read more horror. I think I might actually be ready to do that. So again, that is Piñata by Leopoldo Gut. So the accountant in The Dog of the North has a pinata in the back of his very messy van and i kept wondering what was inside but now i'm <laughs> sort of glad that we didn't find out what was inside it because yeah 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 <laughs> so those are books that we have read and loved we're going to tell you about some more books but first we're going to hear from another sponsor today's episode is brought to you by ww norton and company incorporated So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first pick today I have not read, but I am very curious to read because it has received like all the stars, getting tons of rave reviews. It is called Bitter Medicine by Mia Tsai. It's a paranormal fantasy romance. And it's about Elle, who is descended from the Chinese god of medicine. She works as a calligrapher for a fairy temp agency, which is like, I'm sold, fairy temp agency, okay. Which makes it kind of sound like you're going to be a fairy for certain projects, but no, (laughs) it's just that you work at this fairy temp agency. Um, And there she meets Luke, who is a half-elf who has a dark secret, and he works as the agency's security and then one day, I don't know how, it doesn't say, uh, L saves his life and they start this steamy romance and decide maybe they are going to solve their problems together. So sounds like tons of fun. It is called Bitter Medicine and it is by Mia Tsai. I actually have started reading my next pick. I'm I'm very far into it, almost done, and I have heard from multiple people that this is just super fun. So I wanted to talk about it today, and that is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Jesse Q. Sutanto had, you know, a big year, year and a half. Uh, she wrote The New Girl, most famously Dial A for Aunties, and the follow-up for Aunties and a Wedding, all three of which I love. I uh, In this book, she returns to one of the things that I have definitely discovered I love, which is an older woman and or women sleuth. I love that so much. I've really enjoyed spending time with these women of a certain age and all of their, you know, life acquired sass. Uh, So in this book, Vera Wong is a, again, lady of a certain age living in San Francisco's Chinatown, where she has like, you know, a very routine life. Like she gets up really early in the morning and she stretches and goes on a power walk and has her congee for breakfast, opens up her tea shop, like clockwork, no alarms needed. She's one of, you know, like the, if you don't get up early, what are you doing with your life sort of people? She's at all times very concerned with her son's whereabouts. He doesn't call enough. You know, he doesn't invite her to her office. Children of immigrants will relate in so many ways. And her husband died recently. He was sort of the middle ground between she and her son. And so she kind of is at a place where she just kind of wants to feel, I think, needed. She has this tea shop called Vera Wang's World Famous Tea Shop. Again, if you didn't pick up, her name is Vera Wong. The shop is called Vera Wang's because she was like, ah, yes, Vera Wang is famous and that will make more people come to my shop, (laughs) which I just think is great. But she's been running this shop, you know, in Chinatown for a while. And while she was really well known back in China for her unique tea blends and offerings, the shop in San Francisco has kind of gone from having a really decent following to like maybe not so much. 
barely staying afloat only because the place is paid off. But all of this, you know, very early on in the book comes to a head when she goes to open the shop and she finds a dead body. And in the hand of the dead man, there also is a flash drive that she's like, uh, okay, so I'm going to call the cops, but like, can they really do as good a job at solving this as I probably can? Probs not. And takes that flash drive and puts it in her pocket and decides that she's going to put out an obituary and so that the people who know this guy will come to her shop and she's going to make a list of suspects and she's going to solve this crime. <laughs> so that is what is happening. It's great. She's made from the get-go is like, oh, you know, welcome to my shop. Come, let me serve you some tea. Also, you're a suspect. And everyone's just like, oh, oh okay. And that, that's really great to watch the sort of relationships that, um, like friendships that are being forged and that it's going to be really difficult for her to have to you know, name one of these people in theory as the culprit. So it's so great. Again, it's just, I love, love, love these little old lady protagonists that are so meddlesome and don't pay attention to the rules. And just at times, like really, really frustrating to be, you know, work with if you're like their child or just don't understand certain kinds of customs and and habits. But it's just overall so funny. I really loved um, the actual like dialogue that happens in this book is chef's kiss so far. So again, that is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. So that is just one of three books that Jesse Q. Sutanto has I know this year. There is also uh, Theo Tan and the Iron Fan, which is mm-hmm. coming in June, and a thriller called I'm Not Done With You Yet, which is coming in August. I myself have read this book. And I enjoyed it quite a bit, but you know I don't like to ever say anything negative, and I don't think this is a negative thing to say, but I did find it to be so much more about the people and the relationships and a lot less about the mystery. So if you're, like, sitting down and you just want, like, a straight mystery, this is going to explore these people for a very long time um, before we get to what happened. So there is that. Ooh, good to know. Yeah, I'm definitely not far. I'm I'm definitely solidly in the like people place of this book right now. So yeah. that's good to oh, know. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's really fun. And it's really funny. And she's funny and annoying and great and all that. But but yeah, if you're like looking for like as far as the mystery, like it. we're gonna go through large swaths of the book where it's <laughs> okay, not talked about. Not about that. Yeah, good context. So, um, if you need a faster moving mystery, that is not it. But it is a really fun book. So my. Next pick today that I'm looking forward to reading is Take What You Need by Idra Novi. I am a big fan of Novi's novels, Ways to Disappear, and Those Who Knew, and now busting out with a four-word title, Take What You Need, uh, set in the Appalachian Mountains. It's about a woman named Leah who returns to her estranged stepmother's home after she dies. Um, Leah was excited to leave that area, could not wait to get away. Uh, And when she goes back, she discovers her stepmother had been creating giant sculptures welded from things she found in the world around her. Uh, and she also meets the young man who has been living in her stepmother Jean's house and during her last days and is, is still living there. And it's about how you can learn things about those you thought you knew. And also the beauty that you can find and create with the world around you. That is Take What You Need by Idra Novi. Ooh, that sounds great. Uh, my last pick that I have not read yet, but I'm very excited to read is The Dance Tree by Kieran Millwood Hargrave, who is the author of The Mercies, which I finally read last year. I say finally, I don't think it's been out that long. But anyway, I read it last year during my like October witchy reading dedicated time. So this one sounds oh so up my alley. It's historical fiction set in the 16th century in France, in Strasbourg. And it's like a 
really, really hot summer, this woman begins to dance in the city square, and all of a sudden she is dancing for days without pause, and hundreds of other women are also suddenly dancing without pause, and it's declared state of emergency to try to find musicians to quote-unquote play the devil out of the mob. And so this, in case you haven't picked up, is inspired by real events, a dancing fever that broke out in Strasbourg in 1518. It's also explored in Anna-Marie Macklemore's Dark and Deepest Red, if, uh, again, some of this may sound familiar, but it's essentially about that era and this woman who kind of lives outside of the city, outside of the frenzy she thus far like hadn't been affected until her life is sort of upended with her other rival of her sister-in-law who has been away for seven years, sort of serving out a sentence in the mountains for like a crime that no one will talk about, no one will name, no one will say what it is. And that secret is what this main character, Lisbeth, is trying to uncover. There's lots of secrets, ties into like the hysteria and all the things of what's, you know, happening in the city. And it just sounds so up my alley in all all the ways. So really can't, can't wait to get into that. And that's The Dance Tree by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. All right. So those are our picks for today. And now we are going to have a quick little paperback round, starting with Other People's Clothes by Kala Henkel, which is about two American expats in Berlin who become obsessed with the Amanda Knox trial. The Bangalore Detectives Club by Harini Najendra. This is a New York Times notable book of the year from last year, set in India in the 1920s, about a woman named Kaveri and her husband Ramu, and Kaveri decides to investigate a murder that happens at a party. One Shot Harry by Gary Phillips. This is a mystery about a Korean war vet named Harry. He is now a photographer in LA in the 1960s, and he is called out to take pictures of a car accident. It turns out that he knows the owner of the car, and he sees something in the photos that he develops that makes him believe that this was not an accident. Beyond Innocence, The Life Sentence of Daryl Hunt by Phoebe Zerwick, which is about the true story of Daryl Hunt, who was a young black man in North Carolina in June of 1985 when he was convicted of assaulting and killing a white person and sentenced to life in prison and how uh, the conviction was overturned because he did not do it. The Bone Orchard by Sarah A. Mueller, which is a gothic whodunit starring a witch. Uh, somebody I used to know used to call them wadnits, which just makes me laugh. But um, anyway, Tell Me Everything, the story of a private investigation by Erica Krauss, uh, which is a part true crime, part memoir. Uh, Krauss was an investigator who worked on the case of a college student who was sexually assaulted in 2002. Um, this one got rave reviews, was a Book Riot favorite, and I'm really looking forward to reading it still. Good Intentions by Kasim Ali, which is a debut novel about a young man who is hiding his relationship from his parents who he thinks will not approve. The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. This was like a huge, huge title last year. One of the New York Times bestselling books of the year. It is historical fiction set in Texas during the Great Depression. City on Fire by Don Winslow. The first in a trilogy about two crime families in New England. The second book in this trilogy, City of Dreams, is out April 18th. And then a couple of paperback originals. Nothing But the Rain by Naomi Solomon, which is about a town where it never stops raining. And Not That Kind of Ever After by Lucy Adams, where a young woman goes viral on a dating app after she writes a fairy tale version of a one-night stand she had that was a total disaster. So those are some books that you can pick up in paperback today. And Vanessa, what are you going to read next? 
I'm reading like three books at the same time right now, which is very common. Um, but yeah, I'm like really enjoying all three. <laughs> uh, one is Wayward by Amelia Hart, which is this like witchy-ish at least from what I gather, like three, three different generations of women. Like one of them is like during the witch trials in the 17th century. The other timeline takes place during, I think, World War II. And then the third and like present day. And there's like some maybe like magic-y witchy threads throughout. It's yeah, the, 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 the cover got me. There's like a big old crow and or raven, forget which one, but on the cover. Anyway, really great. Exciting for this one. We're excited. Uh, the second is My Dear Henry by Kaylin Bayron, which Danica talked about last week, and I am very excited because it's the Jekyll and Hyde sort of remix uh, with its queer, and oh, I can't wait. It, the cover on that one is also stunning. And then I'm reading Delicious Monsters by Lysel Sambury, which I went to her book signing recently here in Powell's. It's this, like, it's about this house that takes, it's in the, I think it's in the South, and the house is... It's got some interesting history. Like you get two different timelines of two young women, one who lived there like in the past and one in the future and some things have been happening in that house. And that's as much as I will get into right now, but it's really, really great. And another really stunning cover. You should look at that one. It's it's really great. Um, so yeah, th- those are the three that I'm picking up right now. How about you? Awesome. So I just got a Starter Villain by John Scalzi, which sounds really really fun and i had just read all of the books in the bad guys series which i watched the movie a few months ago with like sam rockwell where he plays the wolf and it's like these kids books about this group of bad guys that like want to do good and there's like 18 well there's seven 16 books in the series that are available now and i just read them all and one nothing like the movie and two they get really dark they're just like these comic books about, well, not comics, but, like, they're picture books almost, but, like, about this group of different animals who are all bad guys, and they want to do good, but, you know, things keep going wrong, and when they do their best, like, they just, people don't understand what they're trying to do. But then they get, like, really dark, like, 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 dark Willow storyline dark, like, Ooh. It, it was, it was really fun, so I was really into that, because, you know, and then I'm going to read this villain book. But also, um, I've mentioned I've been watching a lot of game shows, and the other day, uh, I can't remember which game show it was, but there was a question about Sue Grafton and the Alphabet series. <laughs> and my brain was like, you need to immediately get up off the couch and go get A's for Alibi and start reading it again. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> but I eventually broke down and was like, okay. So I've started reading A's for Alibi again, which I think is almost 40 years old now. I, I mean, think I, it's so. The book, <laughs> book came out, I think, in like 85. So well, just wow. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. So. That is it for us today. Go to bookriot.substack.com to check out the deep dive. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we appreciate it so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. I want to send well wishes to one of our longtime listeners, Melissa, who is recovering. I hope that it goes smoothly and quickly and we're pulling for you and in the meantime happy happy reading. reading